The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months wages wouldn't buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they all were satisfied, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over from those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. But Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him a king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, good morning. <clears throat> I am, uh, I'm going to miss you guys for the next couple weeks. Not that much. <laughs> I'm going to Hawaii, so, you know. Yeah. My, uh, I, I, so my, my mother-in-law is 89, and we, we, you know, she always wanted to go. And, uh, and my father-in-law, uh, who served in, uh, in the Navy in the Korean War, always said, ah, I already seen it. Um, and so, uh, so he never took her, even though we tried to get him to. Um, but uh, here's what happened. And you know, we, we lost him in February. So not long after he died, they got a stimulus check for him. And the rule is you don't have to give it back. So it's going to pay for her airfare. So he's taking her to Hawaii after all. <laughs> but uh, yes, while I'm away, uh, Father Ron will be on call, and uh, Father Nathan Erdman is backup in case Father Ron is not available. Their uh, numbers uh, should be in the bulletin, also in the in the uh, in the fisherman's net. Um, but 
you know, one of the strange things about being a preacher during a pandemic is that you get up to preach and you're not sure if that's going to be the last time somebody hears you. I mean, in a sense, like that's always the case. Anything could happen. I could get hit by a truck on the way home. But there were definitely Sundays when I got up to preach and I thought, this could be the last sermon that someone hears. Sometimes I thought, this could be the last sermon I preach. I might not be here in a week. And so I think during that time, there were certain certain weeks I may have felt repetitive to you. It may have seemed like I was saying stuff I'd said before. Uh, partly, I'm always going to say stuff I've said before. I got nothing new to say. Uh, I really don't. I, like, I, I preach Christ and Him crucified. I have no other material. Uh, but, but yeah, there were times when I felt like I just needed to make sure that I said again. If I didn't say it enough, if you didn't hear it, that God's grace is sufficient to cover all of your sins and then some. That you are acceptable to Him not because of anything you did, but because He loves you and demonstrated that enough that He died for you. And our text again today just gives me an opportunity to say, God loves you. He really loves you. He is crazy about you. Think about how you love your grandkids. He loves you more than that. Think about the way you felt when you first fell in love with somebody. He loves you more than that. Think about the the love you have and how intense that feels when you think about the love you have for somebody that you've lost. He loves you more than that. And He loves you even better than you were able to love anybody that anybody was able to love you. That's why Paul says in Ephesians, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner man in order that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray, and this is the prayer every pastor has, for his people. It's Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. It's my prayer for you. I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, to know this love that surpasses knowledge in order that you may be filled to the measure of all of God's fullness. It makes sense, I think, that Paul says, I want you to have power to grasp this. Because you'd need some kind of power to grasp just how wide and long and high and deep is God's love, wouldn't you? I mean, I, I can't grasp the love my wife has for me, let alone the love God has for me. And yet, Paul prays that they would. 
And he's right to pray that they would have that supernatural ability. Because it is a supernatural ability that would enable us just to even get a sense of a taste, of a glimpse of the knowledge of what it is to be loved by God. And that word knowledge, as I said before, <clears throat> Paul surely has in mind here that Hebrew word yada from the Old Testament. When, Paul talk, when, when the Old Testament writers talk about knowledge, they're not talking about knowing some stuff. They're not talking about trivia. They're not talking about knowing who came in second in the American League back in 1994. They know, they're talking about intimate, deep, personal knowledge. It's the kind of knowledge that's involved when the writer of Genesis says, and Adam knew his wife and she conceived. And so Paul wants the Ephesians to have that deep and rich knowledge of Christ's love. How do you get it? I think Paul talks about two ways embedded in these really curious words that he, that he uses in, in verse 17. He talks about being rooted and grounded in love. Two very, very different pictures. Two very different metaphors. In a lot of ways, you, you, you can either be rooted or grounded at a particular point. When you think about it, it's hard to think of both happening together. You think about what, what roots do. What, are, what do roots do? They grow. They spread through the soil. We also know from this summer that they get gnawed on by cicadas while they're in larval form for 17 years. But, but the, the roots, what do they do? They suck up nutrients from the soil. They, they take in water and they spread, and they go deep. And you can never go deep enough. You can never go so far that you have reached the furthest extent of God's love. You, you, can't, you can't get to the end and defeat the final boss and be done with it. Oh, the love of God is vast and broad. It's an ocean you can swim in endlessly. And so when we are rooted in love, we extend our roots deep. We search. We ask. We pray. We read. We love one another. We experience the life of what it is to be a, a Christian. In all the different ways that we do that, we are extending our roots, sending them out, sending them deep and taking in the nourishment that God has for us from all of those things that He puts in our path. But the other metaphor, well, you could translate that word grounded, you could translate that established, but the word is, the Greek is themelio, which refers to the, the laying of a foundation. And if you are resting on top of a foundation. You're not doing anything at all. You don't have to do anything except exist. Gravity does everything else that needs to be done, and the foundation does everything that needs to be done to hold you up. That's it. So if you're rooted, you're always sending out the tendrils 
But if you're grounded or if you're resting on a foundation, you don't have to do anything. God has already done it. There's nothing that you need to do to earn God's love. Nothing that you need to do to justify your ability to rest on it. Nothing at all is required of you other than simply to be. He's done it all. So when we're grounded, when we're established in Christ's love, all we're doing is being there. And in our lives as Christians, as we grow in Him, there are aspects of it that look like being rooted, that look like sending out the tendrils that are active. And then there are parts of it that are just being there. In fact, the worst thing you could do with a foundation is to mess with it. This week I had to get work done on my basement. I got water coming in. They messed with the foundation. They had to. They had to put in the drain. But normally, all you do with the foundation is sit on it. And that's all we have to do. Christ has done the work for us. And He demonstrates that love and that while we were yet sinners, while there was nothing about us that made us worthy of it, nothing at all, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And so with Paul, I give God glory for this. I give him thanks and praise. I'm so glad that God loves me. That I don't have to do anything to earn that. I don't have to do anything I don't have to earn anything. There's nothing on me at all because he's done it all. And so then to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, not our power, not our striving, not our trying really hard, it's his power that's at work in us. To him alone be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.